Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. How are you? All right. Mostly lively bunch. We'll get that straight. Um, Well, I am Pastor Todd. Again, I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, um, that's my name. If you do know me, Um, sorry, you know how much I need prayer. Um, So uh, we're continuing with our series in Mark this week, and we look at uh, we've continually looked at in Mark, what does Jesus do? So not just reading through scripture and looking and seeing Jesus, but what does he actually do? What are those interactions going on and his actions that come out of that? And this morning, we, we meet this man on the roadside, Bartimaeus, and, and Jesus, what he does is he asks a, a huge question. Um, Before we get to that, though, I want to share a little bit um, about my incredible uh, grandmother. A few years ago, she passed away. She's a pretty incredible lady, Um, but she was completely blind. Um, and for my entire life, I, she, she never had her sight. Um, I, I only knew her as being completely blind. And as you can imagine, um, if you have grandkids and you're blind, that, that's, that's an issue. Um, we, we did not always, we weren't always obedient knowing that she couldn't see what we were doing. Just being honest up here, you know what I mean? Let's just confess that stuff, get it out. Uh, don't worry, I got more of those fun details later. Yeah, but one of the things that, that as I sat here and I read through this area of Mark, and this is why this applies, because we meet this beggar on the side of the road, and his name is Bartimaeus, and he is also blind. And it got me thinking, and I started thinking about my, my grandmother, and I just want you to imagine, imagine that you could not see. Imagine being close to a loved one and hearing their voice and feeling their touch, but never knowing what they look like. I remember my grandmother would touch my face, and I know that she had to be gripping for what did I actually look like growing through the years. Imagine walking, and you feel the warmth of a summer day, and you hear the sounds that come from a summer day, but you can never take in the sights of God's beautiful creation. Imagine never being able to see the incredible sunset from that day. Can you imagine what it would be like to go through life and not be able to see some of those things? And imagine the desperation that would probably be there to want to recover your sight. So look with me in Mark chapter 10. We're going to pick up at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So let me give you a little context. Jesus and the disciples, they had been up in Jericho. Um, it was a, a little bit off from the Jericho we know in the Old Testament, because, I mean, we, we know what happened. The walls fell down. Probably not good to rebuild that if God crushed it. So Herod had actually uh, built a summer palace kind of next to that in Jericho. And it, so it was a kind of wealthy, affluent area. I mean, imagine going to the nice section of the city. So the beggars were going to be on that pathway coming out because the people coming out of there, they had money. And so they were leaving Jericho. They're headed to Jerusalem and kind of they're, they're following that pilgrimage. And Bartimaeus, and we hear it also in, uh, in Matthew and also in Luke, this story takes place. There's actually two blind beggars, but we, we hear about Bartimaeus. And this one, he's sitting by the roadside. So verse 47, 
And when Bartimaeus, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, I thank you so much just for that time of worship to be able to sing about your goodness and how amazing you are. Lord, I pray that this morning in your word we would see your truth. We would be willing to allow you to open us up, prod our hearts. And Lord, that at the end we would be singing and praising how good you are. Lord, so we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus asked one really big question of Bartimaeus. I'm actually going to ask you five, okay? Um, and, and here's what I ask from you. Some of these, they seem like really simple questions. But I, I'm going to ask you to, to maybe even right now, even just go to the Lord quietly where you're sitting and ask him to look and penetrate your heart with some of these questions. It is a time for us to look inward and deal with maybe some things that we see here because we see a phenomenal example in Bartimaeus and we can't miss that. And if we're going to get some of these things, we've got we've to deal with hard questions. So in verse 47, Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, and what's he do? He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, if we're going to kind of understand Bartimaeus, you, you look at um, his name, um, Mark kind of drops some hints about, a little bit about Bartimaeus' background just with his name, because he says his name is Bartimaeus. Okay, that, that, uh, that bar in the Timaeus part, he's saying, look, he was the son of Timaeus, which was meaning, obviously, that Timaeus, his father was blind. Bartimaeus is also blind. He's just, there's a generational problem, which is why he's bar Timaeus. So we see there's, there's a generational problem that goes on in his family. There's obviously been blindness in the generations before him, and now he's dealing with it now. And so you can imagine Bartimaeus knows this is happening in him, and he is desperate, desperate to recover his sight. Because of that, because of the generational things that are there, he knows and probably saw in his father that there is nothing the world can do for him. There's no cure to his blindness. There's no medicine that they could have given him. There's no one he could have seen that would have fixed this problem of blindness in his life. And so what he's doing is pleading for Jesus to intervene. He's desperate, absolutely desperate. So he's calling out. He's calling out in desperation for the Savior. 
And what's interesting about this is the way he doesn't just call out to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, son of David. It's the first time we see Jesus called that in the, in the book of Mark. And he's actually saying something that's going to rattle the crowd a little bit because he's acknowledging that Jesus is from the line of David. All these Old Testament scholars and everybody with the understanding of the Old Testament would have known clearly the moment he said and calls out Jesus, son of David, he's saying, our Savior, Jesus, our Savior, not even my Savior. He's pointing to Jesus going, that man is the only Savior when he says Jesus, son of David. And the crowd doesn't like it. But he's that desperate. He's that desperate. And in that moment, honestly, Bartimaeus probably, even though he's blind, sees Jesus more clearly than anybody else on that road did. So the first question, first opportunity for introspection for us, are you desperate? I mean, think about that. Are you desperate? Is there a desperation in your life for Jesus? Is there a call for Jesus in your life daily desiring him? Not just Jesus walking by, but Jesus, our Savior. Is there a desperation in your life for him? I can't answer any of these questions for you. Sorry. I just get to ask them. But don't worry. I got to ask them of myself too. The second one, are you crowdsourcing for approval. See, in verse 48, it said, and many rebuked Bartimaeus. They told him to be silent. But what's he do? He cries out all the more. He doesn't change what he's saying. He still proclaims, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. You know, with all of our technology today, there are tons of ways to crowdsource. You can crowdsource for a ton of different things. There's apps for it. There's programs online. You can even go the old-fashioned way, send out letters for support. Let me, let me, I guess, let's work from the same definition. When I say crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing is utilizing large groups of people for obtaining support. You're dependent on a large group of people, kind of the masses, for support. That could be financially. It could also be for idea backing. Bartimaeus is actually crowdsourcing for for financial backing. That's what he did. That's what he depended on for his support. He's on the roadside. He's begging. And that's where the alms and the giving, they come from for him to support his life. He can't do anything because he is, he is blind. You know, we have so many different ways that we, we do that now, even in our own society, to making sure that, you know, our ideas match with what the crowd would say is okay. See, the problem is, is the moment, though, that Bartimaeus went against the crowd, the moment he proclaimed There is our Savior. There's my Savior. He lost all support. The crowd rebukes him. They tell him to be silent. 
because he is recognizing Jesus for who he truly is as our Savior. And what we realize is, though the crowd's not really happy with it, the crowd doesn't support him, Jesus actually does. Jesus doesn't say, stop, whoa, 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 do, bro, you got my title wrong. I'm just Jesus, all right? I'm just on my way to Jerusalem. No, he allows him to set the tone right for who he is. And the crowd's rebuking him, and then what, what does Jesus say? He says, call him. And he calls him over. And look how quickly the crowd shifts. They go from rebuking him, telling him to be silent, and then they find out it's true. And then, hey, man, take heart. No, 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 he's calling you. And then, so you see this wishy-washy crowd in response, but you don't see any wavering on Bartimaeus' side. He wasn't concerned about making sure the crowd approved of what he thought about Jesus. So, are you crowdsourcing for approval for who your Savior is? Bartimaeus wasn't. See, looking for approval from the crowd and who we should put our faith in, namely Christ, is no different than being a sailboat without a rudder, hoping that the wind is going to steer us in the right direction. If you're depending on the crowd to approve who you worship and who you follow on a daily basis, you're just going to get blown around in the sailboat wherever the wind pushes you, wherever the crowd pushes you. Because one day it's going to be over here, and this is acceptable to follow and believe in, and this is okay. And then the next day it's going to be over here. Look at how much our culture has shifted in 10 years with what is acceptable and right and what it is today. Don't depend on crowdsourcing for your approval there. Jesus stopped and he told the crowd to call him, get Bartimaeus over to me. He was Jesus approved in that moment, Bartimaeus was. Because we have to recognize there is only one source of truth. That's scripture. And only one savior and that's Jesus. And that is the only place where we need our approval to come from, not the crowd. Next question. Oh, man, I love this. I love this. In verse 50, he throws off his cloak. This blind man springs up, and he came to Jesus. Are you motivated? Are you motivated? You know, I, I remember, um, like I said, my grandmother was blind, and always around Christmas time, um, we, we, we ended up, we would take my grandmother shopping, which was always an experience. Um, and so we were, this one time we were shopping, and um, my mom was getting us some food, so we're in the food court, and she asked for my brother and I to go find a seat for us to sit in while she got the food. So, you know, of course, my grandmother, you know, she, she couldn't see. So she's, she's holding on to our arms, and we're leading her. And my brother and I look, and um, we don't see any seats. I mean, it's, it's packed in the mall. There's no seats. And um, 
So there, there was kind of like this little middle section, and there was a ledge, and there were plants on the inside. You know, why, you know I guess I wanted you to, while you shop, feel like you were outside. So, of course, you know, I, I'm maybe in like second grade or something like that. I look at my brother. He looks at me, and obviously that is the only reasonable place to sit with a blind woman is up on this four-foot ledge. So we hop up there no problem. Okay, and my grandmother, she's kind of feeling around. She goes, "Is this a seat?" Yeah, Graham, you you gotta kind of like hop up. You you jump, and we'll pull you up onto the seat. So so she kind of leans in, and uh, and so we get her up there, and um, so we get her placed, and she's like, "Oh, all right." And so next thing you know, my, you know, mom's ready, and. Uh, you know, she kind of calls to us like, what are you doing? You know, we're sitting up on this ledge and we're like, oh, Graham, we got to move to a different seat. She goes to move and homegirl, that's what I call my grandmother sometimes. Um, she goes to move, but she thought there was a backing that she could put herself in. And so my, my blind grandmother is feet up in the plants. Because um, what, um, what had happened was, we didn't, we didn't really explain that there was a back on the seat for her, her to get up on. So there, there's a really important message in this story. I don't know where I was going with it, but one, uh, blind people don't usually spring up very well. And two, if you ever sit a blind person down, don't do what I did. Let them sit in a chair. That was for free. But I, I'm sitting there, I laugh at that. It's like one of those moments you're like, dang, man. <laughs> but what I love when you look at Scripture and you look at Bartimaeus, man, he has this reckless abandon to get up and to be with Jesus. Now, we, we kind of got to understand this action of springing up for him. There's kind of two views if we understand this. One is the fact that he is a beggar. He's on the side of the road. So one of two things was most likely going on with his outer, outer cloak that he would have worn. A lot of times they would have spread that out. They hadn't figured out the whole coffee cup thing yet. Okay, And so they would have spread out their cloak, and that's actually what people passing by would have put um, the alms and the money on for the beggars. So that would have been in front of them. He throws all of that aside, and he rushes and springs up to Jesus. He was not dependent on the world's structures of what he should have been dependent on. That was his life source. That was his means of survival. And what's he do? If it gets in the way of Jesus, he throws it aside so that he can spring up and get to Jesus. Are you motivated this morning? He wanted nothing. He wanted nothing to get in his way. Look, I'm going to be honest with you here. There's been times where Jesus is coming and I'm calling out to him, calling out to him. I'm going, I am calling Jesus. He's right there, but he's not answering me. He's not calling me to come over to him. What's wrong? Something's broken with the system. I'm doing what you said. And then I look down and I'm clutching my cloak. 
And Jesus is saying, come over to me. And the problem is, is it's not a convenient time for me to let go of what's in front of me. Maybe it, it is a sin. And there's certainly been times where I'm clutching to a sin that I do not want to give up. And Jesus is calling me over and saying, trust me and let go of that sin. And I won't. There's been times in my life where it's been my treasure, the money sitting in front of me that I will not loosen my grip on. It's been times where it's been the relationship lying in front of me that I am not willing to trust Jesus with and be before him. It's even been time. I'm not willing to let go of my time. It's just not convenient right now, God. Matthew Henry says this, those who would come to Jesus must cast away the garment of their own sufficiency. They must strip themselves of all conceit of that and must free themselves from every weight and the sin that like long garments most easily beset them. Are you motivated to let go of whatever it is and spring up to Jesus. When Bartimaeus was willing to cast it aside, he's saying, I'm okay not trusting the world's structures and what they said should be my support. I'm okay trusting Jesus. I'm okay trusting Jesus with his will and what he says needs to be in my life. Are you expressing? That's the next one. And in verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, let me recover my sight. You know, it's kind of interesting about that. One, it's like, well, pretty obvious. Why would you ask that question? Um, he's blind. I thought you were Jesus. You should know probably what he wants. But I love that Jesus asked this huge question, and it seems so obvious. You know what's ironic, though? Jesus literally, a few verses later and with the disciples, he asked them the same question. What do you want me to do for you? Two totally different responses. See, the disciples' response to that big question was they wanted a place of prominence in heaven. They wanted their glory over Jesus' glory in their life. Man, Bartimaeus, though, has this humble response. He just wants to recover his sight. He calls him teacher, meaning, look, I respect you. I know your Savior, and I trust ultimately that you know what's best for me. So I'm just asking. And see, what he asks is going to place Jesus' glory above Bartimaeus' glory. If he heals him, if Jesus chooses to heal him in that moment, that's proclaiming God's glory, not his own. He's just trusting that Jesus is going to do what should be done. Are you expressing are you expressing it to Jesus? 
I got to be honest a little bit. I struggled with this point. I struggle with this question because if I'm honest with you, I don't want to muddy the waters for you of approaching Jesus. Jesus wants us to come to him with anything and everything. And what I love about that is he asked the same question of the disciples, and he knew how they were going to answer it. He asked the same thing of Bartimaeus, and he knew how Bartimaeus was going to answer it. And the truth is, is that Jesus was perfectly capable to handle both responses. So no matter how you approach Jesus and what you express to him, he is perfectly capable to respond exactly how he needs to. But we got to understand that one of those expressions was one in the desire for their own glory, not, not a desire for God's glory to reign in their lives through what he had and what his will was. The last thing, the last question is, are you following Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. His faith didn't heal him. The fact that he trusted Jesus with what he was going to do, and he allowed God's will in his life. Are you following? And I love this. He says, go on your way. There was kind of an openness there that Jesus had come into his his life. He had done some amazing things, and he could have gone on his way. So what's he do with his first decision, with his own sight? He can now look and walk. He doesn't need anybody else to lead him anywhere else. He gets to decide for himself where he's going to go, and he shows us a right view of discipleship, and he sees Jesus clearly, and he goes, I'm following you. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm going wherever you're going, Jesus. See, because in his blindness, Bartimaeus had to depend on and follow the world's structure for him. The world's way of doing things. He had to depend on others to survive and make it, and he knew Man, there is nothing but Jesus that he can follow and truly depend on. Are you following? Let me close up with this thought. I've kind of asked you a bunch of questions, right? And we truly have to take time to take those questions to God and go, man, am I, am I desperate for you, Lord? Or am I desperate for something else? Am I motivated? Am I, am I truly expressing what's in my life and what's in my heart to you? Am I willing to trust you with those things? And honestly, God, am I following you or am I following something else this world has offered to me? Only you and God can deal with those questions, just like only me and God can deal with those questions in my life but let me tell you, there's, there is a response there, and this is what the response, I feel God pushing us and leading us in, is that response is prayer. Maybe you look at this, and you look at those questions, and you get along with God, and you go, I am. I am desperate for Jesus. 
I am motivated to be in front of him and to be with him. I, I am expressing what's happening in my life and I'm coming to him with everything. I'm not looking to the crowd for my approval. I am following. Maybe you are handling these things just like Bartimaeus did. Then your prayer is one of thanksgiving and steadfastness that you would continue walking and continue trusting in him. And amen. But maybe, maybe you don't have the response that Bartimaeus did to some of these then there's got to be a, re- a prayer of repentance and belief. Jesus said it earlier in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's saying you have to turn. There has to be the desire to turn from those things that you are clutching to, getting in the way of Jesus but then there's a, there's a second part to it. You don't just turn, but you trust the gospel. He's calling us to trust his way, his will, which is forgiveness and the ability to follow after him. And that is so good and so right. And that's why we walk into communion every single week so that we can take that time each week to remember the goodness of his gospel and the forgiveness that was happening on the cross and the fact that our Savior is not dead. He lives and he walks and he made a path for us to follow. He afforded us the opportunity to have our eyes truly open and our hearts truly freed from the bondage of sin. So if you're struggling with those questions this morning, repent and believe. Believe that it's not Jesus walking by calling you, that he is our Savior. He is your Savior. He is my Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you that you you showed us the ultimate act of love by putting your son on the cross for us. Lord, that you are so patient. Lord, that even when we are following after us, you will embolden us and strengthen us with steadfastness. Lord, for those of us that are walking that, I pray that we would continue and you would continue to strengthen But Lord, if we're struggling in this moment, I pray truly, Lord, that we would come to you now and we would repent. Lord, maybe maybe you're calling for that to be right here on this stage, that we bow before you and we stop standing in our own will, but we bow to your will and trust you. Lord, that we can truly believe in the goodness of a wonderful father that wants us to come to him. Lord, and lead us as only you can. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to take communion at this time, so please stand, come, take of the elements, and have a seat, and we will take them together.